2: Here we go. It's the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Welcome, friends, to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. We mm-hmm. are uh, we're in the middle of a series that we're doing on spiritual formation. Um, if you haven't listened to the first couple episodes, I would encourage you to go back and listen to them. They're great with Jem and Alan Fadling, spiritual directors, and with Father Albert Haas, uh, a Franciscan, uh, mm-hmm. on Becoming an Ordinary Mystic, mm-hmm. and then uh, Jem and Alan talk uh, uh, great about meeting God in your actual life. But today we want to talk with uh Jim Wilder. Did this interview with Jim a while back on um Jim Jim is uh Jim is a wild guy. I mean <laughs> yep. I don't mean to uh, uh make a pun about his name. But his uh his combination of um man, spiritual formation, he also has all this like neuro what does he call himself? A neurotheologian. I think he says mm-hmm. this in the interview. A neurotheologian. This this kind of combination of theology and neurology um, and all this uh, stuff uh, that that he brings together in a really unique package um I really enjoyed this interview and um yeah and he's got some connections with Dallas Willard uh, who's a huge influence for all of us um, yep. all of that kind of thing so yeah anyway this that's interview big, was fascinating that's a
1: big deal did you when you found that out Ben did you say did we just become best friends
2: did we just become yeah that's basically I told him that um he didn't respond so I don't think he saw that movie
1: stern Str- um, Str- has this thing where he like Quotes Dallas Willard off the cuff, just as a way of uh, like low key impressing people. And uh, <laughs> he actually, all, though, he writes Willard quotes on his arm. I don't know if you've ever noticed that when he, if you look at his sleeve, it's all
2: full of Willard quotes.
1: Yeah. Well, that's why he's got no sleeves today, and he's right.
2: I've got extra room for Willard quotes. I'm gonna move along this morning, so. But
1: Jim, Jim actually, Wilder actually had a good friendship with Dallas Willard, and. Uh, he he relates in this interview how he like approaches Willard with like, hey, here's a hole in your uh, yeah. typology. Here's something you're missing. And Willard is like, you're right. And Wilder's yeah. like, oh, I'll take care of that. <laughs> 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 started, yeah. Basically, so Wilder sets out to sort of connect what Dallas was doing uh, theologically and spiritually to what we know about neurolog- uh, neurology yeah. and, and brain yeah. science. Yeah. So, yeah. This interview is pretty fascinating because Wilder sort of connects uh, Dallas to science. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Because he was
2: saying, if I remember this correctly, he was saying that Dallas was often frustrated that like people didn't see, people couldn't grasp the vision for why you'd want to become a disciple. You know, like Willard's a lot of his stuff is like, here's here's what it means to be a disciple. But that first part, that vision. Vision of like why would I want to become a disciple was a big deal for Dallas. But I think that that's where Jim uh, came in, and he said, you you would want to become a disciple of Jesus if you were lovingly attached, like emotionally, mm-hmm. lovingly attached to God if mm-hmm. that and if that was uh, taking place. And he sort of brings a lot of the science about that we know about attachment into this realm of, you know, that's mostly been, Taken care of by theologians, and it is a—it's just a fascinating concept. I found myself just really thinking about, even in my own life, as I listened uh, as uh, to Jim talk. I was thinking about in my own life. I'm like, do I is that does that characterize me? Like, am I lovingly attached to God, or mm-hmm. you know, like do I? Mm-hmm. I just realized like I don't think about my relationship with God like that. I think mm-hmm. I think I think about it differently, and I I started to wonder like I wonder if it would be fruitful and helpful for me to think about attachment theory, you know, as I think about God, um, and yeah. maybe if that would draw me, I don't know, a little bit more strongly into the things that I most deeply want. Hmm.
1: So, All right. This is, great important series. this is an important series, guys. Good I think stuff. so, too. I think so, yes. too. What, one of the things that maybe, I just was reflecting on this, one of the reasons maybe we haven't done this is because um, we've just been trying to do it but <laughs> but yeah. um in particular with wilder uh we have benefited so much from the Dallas Willard and the way Wilder employs uh some neuroscientific uh scientific discoveries mm-hmm. that um this is like a conversation with some of our influences like if you look up our family yep. tree this is where we mm-hmm. this is from which we were begotten
2: yeah <laughs> So No, it is. Yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. Um I think it's a really good way of putting it. And I I think that's also it's also interesting that um you tend not to do a series about the thing that you're just doing all the time because you don't realize it is a thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I remember the first time, like I you know, this is this is the influence of Willard on my life, is he's so like the divine conspiracy so radically reshaped what I thought ministry was, like around these ideas of formation. Like it's so radically reshaped. It was like, oh, ministry is about formation. That it, I remember. Like a few years later, it surprised me when someone said, like, one of the focuses. They're like, yeah, one of the things I focus on is formation as a pastor. And I remember it feeling surprising to me. I'm like, one of the things? Like what? Like what else is there? to f-? And I know there's other things to focus on. But anyway, I guess I guess that perspective is helpful just to realize, like, when you get so deeply into something, you don't realize that it still needs to be talked about. Because, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, it's not just, it's not just sort of, it's not uh, the just water that everybody swims in. Right. Yeah. Like it's, we're doing spiritual
1: something. formation, but we've got this awesome children's choir also.
2: <laughs> right. Right. I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, so anyway, uh, enjoy this interview. Um, we're having fun in this series. Um, we're going to do a couple more uh, next week. We're going to, uh, we're going to uh, talk with somebody named KJ Ramsey about, you um, hmm. Finding grace when suffering, like how does formation happen through suffering when you don't choose sure. it? Uh, a lot of our formation stuff has also been, um, has so far has been about stuff we can choose. You know, it's a discipline we can adopt or something yeah. we can, but suffering uh, is obviously something that uh, none of us ever chooses unless we're psychotic. Uh, and so we want to talk about that and then uh, share a story with somebody who um, went through a season of suffering uh, as well. So both of those will be next week. Uh, But for now, enjoy this interview with Jim Wilder. Jim Wilder, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast.
4: It's good to be here with you, Ben. Yeah. And Matt, also.
2: Yes, Matt. Matt's here as well. So, um, <clears throat> Jim, uh, before we dive in, maybe just uh, give our listeners a little bit of an introduction to you. What 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 do you do? What do you spend your time doing? Who are you? Where do you live? All that kind of stuff.
4: Yeah, well, I'm generally known as the neurotheologian behind the life model. Okay. And what that means is that uh, I have a background in psychology and neurology and how the brain works. And i very fascinated by how did, did Jesus teach his human brain to do uh, what God wanted? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And at some point along the line, it occurred to me that uh, the whole uh, objective of living the Christian life was learning hmm. uh, how God had intended us to be. Hmm. Um, and so I've been over the years chasing that around with a whole big group of people, yeah. all of whom have said, you know, we're just not getting the transformation we want to get. Uh, that's, yeah. that's been the center center of this group and trying yeah. to create a model around what does really transform.
2: Yes. Yeah, that, that resonates. I mean, uh, Jim, that resonates a lot with me. Um, I think it resonates a lot with our audience, with Gravity Leadership, our community. Yeah as well, my, um, a lot of what you're talking about is, uh, is the stuff that we're passionate about. And so we, we, we talk a lot about spiritual formation and leadership and we train people to kind of lead from love. We, um, you know, and we bring insights that neurology part of it is really fascinating to us. Psychological insights, how all those things inter uh, interlock and overlap. And, um, dallas willard has been hugely influential for us uh in that uh in that as well reading the divine conspiracy was kind of my gateway drug into um just everything that's important to me now Um, you know what i mean like -hmm. the way i see the world the way i see the kingdom all of that kind of stuff so he, he was hugely influential and um you're you've written a new book called renovated uh god dallas willard and the church that transforms is the subtitle so uh you're kind of you're talking all of our languages here this is really he, great
1: this is ben's love language Jim. yeah uh, this he, is awesome yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> i love all those things i love yes. god i love dallas willard anyway i love transformation anyway but that that um that angst uh if you will also drew me in like i'm not being like is this all there is to it you know like uh so uh, i i'd love to chat with you a little bit about this book um maybe we can start jim with the story of kind of how this book came about you had a relationship with dallas and his wife jane and um he he had kind of said some things a a couple weeks before he died that were the genesis seemed like the genesis of this book at least the ideas that are here
4: yeah it's uh as dallas has a way of doing um uh, he suddenly sends you off in a different direction with a, a on a perspective that you weren't expecting to have. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, i would never seen that before.
5: Hmm. Uh,
4: but actually, to chase it back a little bit earlier, uh, back in the seventies, um, I started working in a community counseling center uh, that was started by one of the mega churches in California to reach street kids, and they found out that a lot of the street kids had actually been in church. As kids, Hmm. but um, they uh, disillusioned uh, with the amount of transformation that the older generation had. It's like, if that's the best you can do, we're going to look for a better life. And so they, you know, the better life wasn't so better, but uh, all the same. Hmm. Uh, So my supervisor, one of my first supervisors was Jane Willard. And at that point, you know, she's just a very experienced, very good counselor. And uh, became director of training of our, our little center. Said one day she was going to bring her husband in, uh, Dallas Willard, who was a, a history professor. and I mean, sorry, a phlo- philosophy, philosophy yeah. professor, yes. Yeah, yeah. So this is going to be dry. Um, <laughs> and the first thing he did when he walked in was uh, started messing with my hit all of our heads and he said, you know, psychology is a care of souls. And the most important thing about caring for souls is you have to love them. Hmm. And uh, all of my professional training was you never love anybody. You don't get involved with any, you don't get connected with anybody. You stay professionally as distant as possible. Yeah. Right. And I realized pastors were being trained the same way because I'd gone to, got my degree from seminary. Yeah. So we're all going to be distant and professional. And then Jesus says that didn't work. You don't, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And
2: so does Dallas. Yeah.
4: So does Dallas. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right then I knew my career was ruined. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Dallas did have a way of saying things that, it, it, you know, like you said, it, this is going to be dry, but he wasn't exactly flashy. But there was he had he had such wisdom and weight behind his words that he could say something as simple as, well, you know the first the most important thing about caring for souls is that you love them, <laughs> and then it yeah. you know it ruins your career and sets you on a, a completely new tra- trajectory. So
4: right. So uh, then we start digging into what does it mean uh, to love people and to become, um, you know, more like Jesus and Jane. Uh, did the second thing that kind of changed my direction. And she said, you know, I, I know you're a psychologist and all, but down in my office, we're inviting Jesus to come and be a part of things. And we're getting to this tremendous change in people. And actually that's what I went into psychology to try to figure out. But I wanted to say, well, how does it work that uh, Jesus presence uh, is an active force that changes things? Wow. And even getting my degree in psychology from a seminary, uh, we, they didn't answer that question how does it you know, how does this can work? how do you do it how do you get Jesus there what you know what does he do when he's there and mm. what's that got to do with with healing and, and change so mm. um, now that I know that Jesus is an active presence and if he shows up things are going to change and you have to love people uh, then we started looking at the people that came in all of them getting the same kind of help. Um, and, uh, you know, let's say three quarters of them getting better and but a quarter aren't.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And then meanwhile, Dallas is working at his end uh, with spiritual formation, spiritual disciplines and stuff like that. And again, they're getting results for, um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of times, but some people it doesn't seem to work for. And, mm-hmm. uh, other people stall out, you know. I mean, it starts out with a lot of transformation and then you're doing a lot of solitude, and uh, suddenly you know, the yield just starts to drop, yeah. Uh, and so, we're both noticing, you know, we're working on this from different sides, but um, at that point, we asked a real interesting question um, of our community, really, because there's about 30 people involved, you know. I'm just guy gets to talk about it and some people try to credit me with it, but it's, you know, I'm, I was part of this group is what I you know have to say. Uh, and, um, so we're saying, you know, why are we getting results some places and not others? Let's sort of compare notes. Cause it looked at like the people doing really well with Dallas did really terrible in the counseling office.
0: Hmm. And,
4: uh, you know, like they couldn't get a yield out of the the spiritual disciplines. It was just sort of like asceticism, just, you know, hmm. our lives have already not had enough. Now we're taking away more stuff, you know, and looking at everyone who's trying to work one of these sides of things, the spiritual side, the healing side, the, uh, you know, the psychology side, the neuroscience side. Okay. And and the objective for all of them was to become a mature person. But okay. the language and the the techniques being used on each of those fields varied a huge amount from other people trying to get the same spiritual maturity. And Dallas had this interesting way of measuring it. He said, you know, essentially, you're spiritually mature when you spontaneously love your enemies. Mm. And... You know, that, Spontaneously,
2: meaning like I don't have to. It's not premeditated, but like what comes out of me, uh, unbidden, when I have an enemy, is love.
4: Exactly that. Yes, okay. uh, he he was very much against sin management. Yep. Where you know you have this internal response, and you go, "Oh crap, that's not spiritual," and right. I'm got to mm-hmm. I got to change it. But I my internal it. response, yeah, is so, not love.
2: Yeah. So paying attention to the internal response was important for Dallas in terms of your spiritual maturity isn't measured in how well did I control my, you know, desire to punch that guy in the face. It's no, I I know I'm becoming mature when I don't actually want to punch anybody anymore. Exactly that. Like when I, when I actually, what comes out of me when somebody attacks me is uh, love. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Right. And so... If that's the measure, and all of mm-hmm. us are trying to do get to that same spot using different techniques, what? Why isn't it working for some people? That was our question, and okay. we basically spent forty years trying to unravel that with some solutions. <laughs> yes. Hmm. Mm. Um, and so here, here's an interesting thing: uh, the spontaneous part of us runs in uh, the right side of the brain in what we would um, call the fast track. It runs faster than conscious thought. Okay. And what goes into that track to form it comes out of uh, it, basically our attachments. Who are we attached to in a significant way? Hmm. And that raised a very interesting question for Dallas and for us is, is spiritual maturity the same as emotional maturity? Because to go on that track, that's your Mm. emotional maturity track. Shouldn't spiritual maturity include everything that emotional maturity has so you at least be as good as every other human being? Right. Yes. right. And then you add something to it that would only come from the character of Christ. So Mm. spiritual maturity is all of normal maturity plus something that happens with the active presence of Jesus and of his people. Yeah. And that's what brought us to do a conference together. Okay. And, and as the, we're in, it's the heart and
2: soul conference.
4: Yeah. Heart and soul yeah. conference in uh, uh, 2012. Okay. And we just felt it was, this is a very crucial time to mm. start this conversation. So we invited everyone that we could and during that uh, conference is when we actually discovered that uh, Dallas had a terminal condition, really, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I was I was in the back room, the green the green room, you might say, mm-hmm. uh, with Dallas and Jane, and we were talking about these these things, and they're running tests and trying to find out what was going on. So, mm. um, so he's really pouring himself into this conference. Mm -hmm. And at, at that point I said, you know, the only way your brain will actually let you have these spontaneous reactions that change your character is if it comes out of attachment to others. Now suppose that what the Bible talks about is love is actually an enduring eternal attachment between God and his people that he intends for us to experience not only with him, but with each other. Wow. Uh, it's not just an emotion. It's not a like, uh, you know, we're going to not just choosing to do good at things for other people, but actually we care about so, them so much that we'll weep with them. If they were weeping, we'll laugh with them. If they're laughing, we'll, whatever their experience is, won't separate us from this connection we have with each other. Mm. Uh, that's the only way you can get into this fast track of the brain that changes our character. Mm. So Mm. um, he said, well, you know, um, I've never seen or heard before of a soteriology of attachment. Now this is the first time this thought crossed my mind. So Mm. we were sitting there now, said, I don't have time to work on this uh, we were going to do a project, a year-long project. He says, I- I'm not going to live to do that. Uh, and I've never heard of sa- soteriology, that's salvation, right? based on a new attachment with God. But obviously, to change character in a human brain, you have to have this attachment, or we just have the right ideas, but we don't have the right responses. yes. And so he left me sort of to complete this dialogue. You know, once wow. you look into that, see if that's uh, what the Bible means. And yeah. so this is the reason for the book, uh, "Renovated." Okay. It's sort of it's the same publisher as he used for uh, "Renovation of the Heart." Okay. And "Renovated" is sort of the sort of the next step. Yes. S- suppose that now what we really need to do is form attachments with God, active yes. attachments with. God who's present and doing something, not just an idea or a good belief.
1: Jim, could you maybe for those of our listeners who are unfamiliar with attachment theory and the brain science behind that, could you describe some of the distinguishing differences between a belief about God and attachment to God?
4: Yeah, that's a, that's a very, very important thing. Um, And uh, I actually, have in the book, uh, quite conveniently, a list of 12 characteristics of a real attachment. <clears throat> mm. Sorry, my voice just gave out. <laughs>
2: yeah. Take a drink, do what you need to do.
4: <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> I think I got it back, dry weather up here in the mountains. <clears throat> okay, so 12 characteristics for the brain of an attachment. The first is that it really connects us to the source of life. In other words, whatever this relationship is has to be the source of life for us. Hmm. So we attach often through food, the one who feeds us, the one who gives us our drink, the one who says of every fruit in the garden you may eat. Um, And oddly enough, um, the first sin was letting someone else feed us.
5: Hmm.
4: But now if salvation is saying that God um, would be our, our food, he'd be our bread, he'd be the bread of life, he'd be the, our, our drink, you know, mm-hmm. where do we see this in Scripture? Is God interested okay. in that? Did Jesus decide the first thing he's going to do with people is he will feed them? Mm. He's a source of life attachment is this thing we look at you and go like feed me you know you know we Mm. don't go to bail to say give me some food you know we go to the one who who feeds us the one who gives us life second characteristic is that it's a unique attachment the brain does not allow substitutes so (laughs) uh, when somebody becomes my mother or my father I can meet a lot of other nice people but the brain just doesn't let one substitute for the other and if you ever had a child whose hamster died, you realize you just can't swap out another hamster because <laughs> it's unique attachment. It's This isn't, yeah, you know, fuzzy.
5: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So this the, the unique uh, person is important. It can't yeah. just be any old uh, father, any old mother, any old God. Right.
4: Okay. Yeah. So it's unique. It's a source of life. Uh, and a, a third characteristic is that it's seen as special so whatever it is uh, you're not just connected to it yeah. you know, but wow it this connection delights in you this person this this one looks at you and go i love you i, I just i'm so into you you know just you m- make my eyes light up and that kind of thing uh, we build joy back and forth uh it provides both joy and rest if you don't let someone rest you can't form a good attachment develops a mutual mind, you start to think like the other person. You know what they're going to say. You know Mm -hmm. what they're thinking when something happens. Uh, Mm -hmm. It grows stronger by moving closer and farther apart. So it isn't a matter of just always being together. But when they're not there, they're still in your heart. You're still acting as though they're a presence in your life. Mm -hmm. Uh, It shares both positive and negative emotions. So it's not just for good times. It's also for... We're together, you know, when it's when it hurts, and it helps all parties be stable and act like themselves. Provides freedom and connection, stretches our limits so that we grow, and it creates an enduring people. Now the question is, do we see that in scripture anywhere?
2: Yeah, I don't think so. No, just <laughs> kidding. That's it. <laughs> it's everywhere,
4: right? That's, this is how God talks to His people. Yeah. It seems like that, yeah. So the first thing I noticed about the churches and about counseling and about most of the spiritual programs was that we were not creating an enduring people. We were creating an experience. We were creating something, Mm -hmm. you know, a touch point. Yeah. And so this transforming life with God became sort of like mountaintop experiences. You get them from time to time. But it wasn't a way that we live with one another. Yeah. Um, and so uh, this if salvation is about a new attachment, interesting thing about the brain is uh, it needs to have God in it or it will never become more than just what human beings do. But on the other hand, for the brain, it has to be practiced with another person or it doesn't become character. Mm. So we would need for this to work that God would say, you have to have a love attachment with me that's joyful. And you got to practice that with everybody else. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Does that sound familiar?
1: It does. Yes, yes Jim. Where yes. have you been? I'm 44. <laughs> I needed this 43 years ago. Yeah, yeah. this is brilliant. didn't we all? Yeah. Yeah.
3: We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash Academy.
1: Yeah. So let me yeah. let me ask you kind of a nerdy question. When you say attachment, are you how is that different from attunement? Does is attunement included in attachment? Or how do they, how do you define those?
4: Uh, yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, attachment leads to good attunement, but they're quite different. The attachment is what makes all the little ducks follow their mother. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, attachment is what makes people run into a burning building with no chance of saving their child, but mm-hmm. their child is in there, and they're going to try it anyway. Mm. Uh, these are the things that are run by attachment. But if we live in attachment with someone else, the attunement part is we start to think with them. We start to we would call that mutual mind. We start to having the same outlook on things. So let's go back to our test that Dallas gave us, a spontaneous love for your enemies.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: If you're living with God and you realize that almost everybody on earth starts out with kind of a, I'm in an enemy position with God, mm-hmm. right? We're not on his side. We're on our side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and God looks at them and goes, wow, you need a connection with me that's going to teach you who you really are.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: If I'm looking and think, seeing how God does that time after time after time, what ends up happening quite spontaneously in my mind is someone starts acting like an enemy, and I say, well, whoa, you really need – to experience some of God's love and his perspective. Cause right now you have no idea who he has created you to be hmm. and that that's hurts, but uh, you know, boy, do you need, do you need what I have right now that to change, you know, who yeah. you think you are? Uh, that spontaneous reaction is, is attunement. It's thinking now about other people uh, as instead of enemies are people I attack. Enemies are people who really need to see God's perspective on the world. Yeah. And you only do that by thinking with God through experiences and and growing together. So that's attunement, Mm. but we won't develop it if we're not attached to God. We'll just say, those crazy people over there think this way.
5: Yeah.
4: Or maybe I should. Yeah. Right.
5: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I know it in my head, but it's not in my heart. A lot of we have a lot of ways of talking about this this conundrum, don't Very we?
4: true. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: yeah. So attunement is more an activity. It's something that happens when we're attached. Which it feels to me like the attachment is more of a state of being. It's it's a it's a way of being. It's a I don't know. Is that how you describe it? Is um, there a better way to do it?
4: Well it, because it's the most powerful of human mo- motives it's been described lots of ways but mm-hmm. uh, we've noticed it mostly when it's missing we say I'm lonely we say um, <clears throat> uh, you know someone has died we think we we lost we mourn that it's a it's a s- desire to be with somebody you know that um, mm-hmm. you know no one else will substitute and they're the only one for me and the one I want right now it's Mm. Uh, you know, why we feel badly for orphans and strangers. You know, they have nobody that feels that way for them. So mm. it's, it's you know, you could say it's a way of being, but it's a re- so relational. Yeah. Attachment yeah. must connect to somebody else who means something to me. Okay. Um, okay. And, and it's a little bit like marrying God. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's almost like we're his bride, you know, and all of a sudden he's got this family that He yes. loves and cares for. And because yes. we're marrying into that family, we have to get to know and love and care for these people we yes. would not otherwise give yes. a hoot about.
2: Them. So that that part of it is, uh, I think, especially interesting for me because I think it's especially interesting to our audience, a lot of church leaders, a lot of pastors. Um, and I think one of the things that I hear your um, kind of vision of salvation as a new attachment to God one of the things that's fascinating about that is your 12th aspect of it, which is that it creates an enduring people. I think oftentimes the, the spiritual discipline movement or the spiritual formation movement, it, it can probably unfairly, but it can sort of get uh, um, talked about as if it were just about individuals, as you said, having these mountaintop experiences. So it's an individual who goes on a lot of retreats. That's a spiritual formed person, right? Um, but I, I'm especially interested then for you to talk about um, how this salvation as attachment and the the disciplines and the actions that flow from that, how it forms a people and what you would say. So if, if I'm a pastor and I'm listening to this and I'm and I'm resonating, right? I'm like, oh, I need this for myself. But I also want my church to become a church that transforms, a church that is part of this enduring people. How do I... How do I begin to make this turn? I don't know if there's there's like a million yeah. questions in that, Jim, but would, maybe you can sort something yeah. out from that.
4: Yeah, you, well, you definitely grabbed the tiger by the tail there. <laughs> um, you know that's the live issue we've got in front of us, and yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so here's the problem that we have. What we can do consciously in a slow track of our brain. Uh, doesn't really change our character very much, it, it changes our plans and directions. And almost okay. all the spiritual formation stuff is corrective. It, okay. uh, um, Michael Sullivan, who I work with, calls them humility drills. They're things that remove from our life the things that get in God's way. Okay. And so we clear space for them. One of the things that Dallas points out is that none of the spiritual disciplines have spiritual value in and of themselves. Right. There's something that we do to make room for God. Yes. And we can do that intentionally. We can work on that. And, and so from every life that wants to become like God, some things must be removed. Hmm. There, there, there's things in our life that just wasn't the way God wanted us to be. Yeah, And the spiritual disciplines are really designed to help move those out of the way. Okay. But the other side of, of uh, spiritual formation is the growth of a new self. One that looks a whole lot more like Jesus than who we thought we would ever be. Yes. It's, it's someone we couldn't imagine ourselves to be. And that requires attachment and connection with other people. And where you see it happening Is precisely in those places where Christians are in the mix with people they don't want to be with. Mm, Enemies, if you will. Enemies, if you will, yes. And most of the enemies are people we know. So, you know, when you're having a fight with your wife, she feels like your enemy. Now, right then, are you able to bring the presence of Jesus in or not? That depends on what will happen to your character. Mm. But in the average church, you know, the smiles go on when you hit the parking lot. Yeah, yeah, you know. So you we're don't avoiding, bring that to church. Yeah.
2: Yes, and we're avoiding talking about it. We're avoiding having the 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 conversation that would bring up the conflict. But the irony is that's the very place we need to practice. Yes, if we're going to grow this new self. Yeah.
4: Yes, exactly. Uh, okay. For a long time, I, I I just left that benchmark that Dallas had as this is how we measure it. But I found very few people getting any closer. They always said, ah, oh, well, there, there's the one that'll make me fail the spiritual test, you know. But when I find places in the church where the people around them don't like Christians, it's precisely in those places you find the most change to Christlikeness. It's precisely when people go into the neighborhood of people they don't like and form community there that says we're going to form an eternal community you may start out not liking me um, but that's exactly why I need to be here I need to learn how to be Christ when you know under these conditions that's that's what will change my heart Uh, when you put the weak and the strong together so most churches the recovery group is in the basement you let them come but they never join the main you know Yeah, and Thursday night, you know. Yeah, Thursday night, right. Mm -hmm. And uh, we let them put their posters out out there, but, you know, the weak and the strong never intermingle. And when you do, everybody feels out of their comfort zone. I'm with people I don't like being with, but Jesus doesn't see it that way. Yeah. So how do I see this moment in the way that Jesus sees it? To me, the essential question then becomes, do we practice when we're together, especially when we're upset, stopping and seeing this moment the way Jesus sees it? Mm -hmm. And to do that, we have to be enough connected with him to say, I don't feel like doing this, but for your sake.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We have to trust him enough to, to enter into the badness of whatever's happening we have to trust Jesus enough to know there's goodness beyond the badness, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise, we won't enter in. We, we'll just be so conscious of the badness of the situation that we won't. That, why would I do this? Let's, you know, let's set up these insulating barriers. Let's keep the weak and the strong separate. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out how not to have conflict. Let's never enter into uncomfortable situations because all I'm conscious of is the badness. I'm not sufficiently attached to Jesus to trust Him to say, "Hey, like you need this situation. Like you need to attend to this."
4: Yeah, we had an interesting experiment with something we call the manual process, and that is we teach people simply to uh, uh, quiet themselves, think of something that makes them grateful to God, mm-hmm. and as they're feeling grateful to God, they begin to experience his presence live. Mm-hmm. It, it just happens, you know. There's an interesting thing. Anytime you remember some good thing that God did for you, It becomes part of your present, and God is there again. Hmm. So we taught this to a group of young people in Guayaquil, Ecuador, um, a very poor city. And what they discovered was that when they were in Jesus' presence, they felt peaceful, even though there were problems around, and he Hmm. showed them a new way of being. So they began to then spontaneously, when they would see the neighbors fighting and Uh, You know, and they're they're about to get a, you know, break up and the families, they go, hey, you need to come with us and sit with Jesus. (laughs) Because we have no idea what to do about your situation. It sounds terrible. But if you sit with Jesus, you'll see and find something that, you know, is going to change who you are. We're just a people who gather and see what Jesus wants us to know. And and we'll teach you to do that. Yes. I've had a chance to do that with Hindus and Buddhists and, and atheists and all kinds of people. And guess what? Hmm. God seems to want to talk to them. He's present. And, yeah. you know, I've watched their eyes pop open and say, something just spoke to me. Something just came into my mind. God, I never I remember one person said, my God consciousness has never been very high, because they were (laughs) full-out atheists, really. Mm, But uh, they were willing to take that moment and see if there was something God would say to them. And if people who do that begin to share with others the active presence of God and... And it's our faith, not that we know how to solve things, which is a, the American way. You know, come on down. We have got to, We know how to work this out, you know. Yeah. yeah, got a good solution for it. We can explain what God thinks. Mm-hmm. Now, how about we just invite him in? Yes. But you only do that when you really feel connected with him. Otherwise, the problems of the world freak you out. Oh, yeah. You're like, uh, what if he doesn't show?
1: Yeah.
2: What if he doesn't show? Yes. Huh. So I hear you saying, Jim, then that if I'm a leader and I am looking for some practical ways into this, the, the first thing to do is just, is just to cultivate this attachment. Know that it's available to us. How, how do I cultivate? How do I create space? And what are the practices that I need to, to, to strengthen my attachment to God? Which is, which is growing in, I mean, this is me participating in my own salvation, right? This is me right. growing in my faith. There's all kinds of biblical ways to talk about this. This is, yeah. this is how we actually participate in the life that God is sharing with us as we grow in our attachment to God. And lots of stuff is going to flow from this.
4: In the later part of the book, I get into what you might say is my disagreement with Dallas. And I'm only sad because he wasn't no longer alive to have this conversation with. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I think we wouldn't have had a disagreement. But although we can go back to you know Mm. where he was and and see a lot lot of us don't realize that Dallas was in a process. He was discovering these things as he went along, and and he was always looking for something better than what he'd found so far.
5: Yeah.
4: And I got to watch that process with him, but he had his VIM model. I don't know if you've heard of Vision, Intention, and Means. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So the vision part, uh, we all agree with, and most churches in America are very good at presenting vision. Yeah. Uh,
2: right. And vision, for just for our listeners, if you're not familiar, what, what Dallas means by vision is vision of life in the kingdom of God. For us yep. to make any progress, right? We have to have a vision that there is a goodness out there for me. It's the kingdom of God is available to me. I have to, I have to see some possibility that gets me off my butt and moves me,
4: right? Right, and I'm yeah. an eternal part of that going forward. Yeah. Yes, so yes, yeah. good. Kingdom of God is out there. I'm in it. Yes, and, and it was the combining those two things okay. that you know really gave him some passion. So now, you know. In a sense, we all assent to that. Sure. Right. Then there was the means, and I've already said that the means used by counselors for healing and the means used by um, spiritual disciplines differed. Yeah. But it seemed like if you begin to combine them and say, what does this person do now? There was a, a wider set of means that okay. could be available and and Okay. Usually what happened is that the spiritual discipline side assumed that people had emotional maturity.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, you knew how to do relationships. And the people who could, didn't know how to do relationships, primarily because they'd grown up with terrible ones, uh, were the ones that couldn't make the spiritual disciplines work. They made room for something they did not know how to do. Mm-hmm. So someone had to enter into a relationship with them and show you, this is how we do relationship. Now, when they made room, they say, oh, relationship should exist here with God. But if your brain doesn't know relationship, it has no better idea than if I asked you to talk in Swahili and you didn't happen to have taught that. You know, it's like, well, how does that work? Yeah. So, but in the middle um, was this intention, vision, intention, and means. The intention was acts of the will. Um, And because that's been the traditional Christian and American view that what we do is we give people more truth uh, and then they make better choices and out of that comes transformation. That formula is so deeply ingrained in us Mm -hmm. that we try to build a spiritual life by giving more truth and helping people make better choices and then practice it. Mm -hmm. But problem with all of that is it runs in the slow track of the brain, the part that doesn't affect character. I see. And it really doesn't explain to us how do we build a better attachment with God. Well, certainly you need to have truth because you don't don't want to create a false attachment, right? Mm-hmm. But if I gave you lots and lots of statistics about a child, it doesn't make it feel like here's your child. Right. So you Attachment comes somewhere else, and we haven't been thinking about that. Hmm. So, you ask the average Christian, How do you build a better attachment with God? and they'll probably come up with a standard formula you know, well, you pray more often, you go to church, and you read your Bible.
1: Yeah,
4: that should do it, but
1: sounds about right, Jim.
4: What's wrong with that?
2: Great to have you on the podcast.
4: Good. You heard Jim's advice. Yeah.
5: There you no.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So what? So what goes wrong for us then? What's what? Um. What would, what would you say How goes that wrong? Insufficient, what, I
4: guess.
2: Yeah. Yeah. What What would you say we need to do instead?
4: Well, the problem with that is that the part of your brain that builds your character does it by imitating somebody. So, uh, it doesn't do it by belief. It doesn't actually understand or listen to words. So um, when you give it concepts and precepts, that makes your will uh, stronger, or at least directs it. But the will, as far as your brain is concerned, is like the leaves on the tree. It's what's the at the farthest end from what gives you a solid sense, and it's the easiest thing to move. So all you got to do is give it six beers,
1: and it's gone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Take notes, listeners.
2: yeah. Yeah. Your, yeah, your mileage may vary. Some only four beers.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I went for a big number just in case. Yeah,
2: um, <laughs> yeah, because some, um, you know, there's some people out there being like five beers. That's not. I can. I. It's fine. I can do five beers.
5: Yeah, but
2: good. So it's right. So it's 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 insufficient because it's not uh, rooted in kind of what actually moves us.
4: That's it, yeah. It's actually the easiest thing to change. And the only problem is the Enlightenment has said that's where where we have to go with truth. Truth leads to, you know, and then you apply power to that um, uh, because your will isn't enough. But if you power it up with some extra will from God, you know, now you're going to be able to muscle through this and then you fake it till you make it kind of a thing. But when we're actually imitating somebody, that reaction to be like them, and most of us have decided at some point or another, I'm never going to be like my father or mother. I'm never going to react this way. And then yeah. presto, something happens, and this part of our brain that we're trying to train acts yeah. just like them and does the same thing. You know, yeah. How do we get Jesus in there so that the person that our brain wants to copy is like, What's oh, like Jesus. Well, interestingly enough, after age 12, it's not looking for an individual. It's looking for a people. In fact, your brain at age 12 or 13 changes so that my survival becomes less important than the survival of my people. And I want to be like the people who endure even after I'm gone. We're looking for that model together. And if Jesus is forming this people, we get a very peculiar people but our brain will just react like they do because that's what my people do. Hmm. Kill me, but it isn't going to change that. Yeah. And so that, that loving attachment to our people yeah. is, I think, possibly what Jesus is talking about with his disciples when he says in this final prayer, you know, I, I pray that uh, they will have the relationship that we have with each other and they'll take this to the world, Mm
5: -hmm.
4: and that my joy, that the joy I have with being with God and my joy to be with them is going to be what motivates and directs this. So attachment is caused by the people we're just joyful to be together with. And, again, the problem is when I first heard this from neurologists, I thought to myself, I've never really seen joy at church <laughs> you know, it's not how I characterize a prayer meeting. It's not how yeah. I characterize yeah. service. It's not a right. you know a meeting of the leaders of the church. Um, you yeah. know. None of those places where where you maximize the content of, of Christian leadership were for me characterized by great joy. Mm. And if that's what Jesus was after, and if that's what changes character, then we gotta really change. The way we react with each other, and you know, if we do that, we'll build permanent relationships. So yeah. instead of the the intention being just willful choices, by I to, yeah by individuals. I wanted to change that middle part and say no. It's, a, it's attached. What impels us is actually the strongest force in the human brain, and that's the strength of our attachment, love to one another. And if that's what mm-hmm. God means by chesed, if that's what he means by agape, if that's what he means mm-hmm. uh, by love, that we are attached to each other in a way that nothing can separate. And it grows stronger. I mean, at first anything can separate it. But mm-hmm. uh, as it grows stronger, nothing will prevail. Not heights or neps, nor principalities or power. Nothing, nothing can separate us from this chesed, this attachment to God. If that's what we're building with each other, um, and every place I do see them building that, I see mm-hmm. character change. If that's what we're building with each other, we'd be measuring our, our church growth in a different way, yes. leadership in a different way. Yes. And, and I think that's where I ended up at the end of this, this book. Yeah. This, you know, it isn't just willful choices. It's, that, it's having that love that make you run into a burning building. Yeah. That will keep you going, and uh, when your will is going, I, I think this is a bad idea. Yeah. You know, mm. there's so many things God does is a bad idea.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. The uh, so I I think this is so helpful, Jim. And as we kind of wrap things up here, um, I just want to draw attention to something that you're saying that I, I think, man, it would be a profound paradigm shift for a lot of pastors to shift into this model, but I think it's so important that the transformation we want to see, I I think that the way I think I'm thinking about it as you're talking here, Jim, is that um, I think a lot of us as leaders think about our churches as organizations that help equip individuals in their life with God, Mm -hmm. right? That we like, you know, if you're like, and this is why it doesn't feel like any big deal to sort of, you know, like, oh, let's just broadcast our services online. You know, that's Mm-hmm. The reason it doesn't feel like a big deal is because it's just more people that can be touched by this content, this message uh, that we're preaching, that will help them connect with God. You know, that's it. But Burgers. what you're— yes, right. And but what you're talking about is such a radical shift that the church is not an organization that provides help for people to connect with God. The church is a community. It is a people, an enduring mm-hmm. people, a, yeah. an eternal people. It is the means, you could almost say, the sacramental means by which we encounter God, that it, it happens through his body. I mean, Jesus did, you know, I mean, the Apostle Paul did say this, right? That our our connection with God is mediated through this body, is, is mediated through this community. Um, so it I just Like feel-
4: paraphrase St. John. He says, you know, if you can't do this with the people that you can see, Right, can't love them, can't mm. attach to them. How are you going to attach to the God you can't see? Right, so I, I think the practical outworking is we've got to do it with the visible if we're going to make it work with yeah. the invisible.
2: yeah, yep. And the, yeah. like you said, Jim, at the beginning, that's deeply challenging because none of us were trained for this, a lot of us were trained against it, yeah. actually, saying that's mm-hmm. a bad idea to get attached to people. Um, so, yeah, it's just hugely, I, mean, I I don't even know, you know, what to tell people to do next, because it's just hugely challenging uh, for well, people, I think. so.
4: I think the thing that we do next is we really start conversations in which we say, you know, let's look and see, is God an active presence right now? How do Good. we increase that? How do we look at, does he mean for us to be a, an eternal people? What would mm. what everything? What would we change if we wanted to invite that into our lives? Mm. And, um, you know, the interesting thing is once your brain starts saying, oh, there's a solution to learning to love our enemies, it starts Mm. looking for opportunities. It's a learning issue. Yeah. And Mm. by the spirit, you actually start seeing workable ones Mm. when you do it together. Yes. It's really, I think, very impossible for a, a brain over the age 12 to do this by itself.
2: So we need each other. We need community. Um, and perhaps the first step is just to begin to raise the vision uh, that that this is possible, that transformation is possible if we do it yeah. together, Yeah. if we can become attached to each other. What do we need to change? How do we need to grow? You convene a conversation and see where it takes uh, yeah. you. Yeah.
4: I, for curiosity's sake, at the end of the book, I put in an appendix of what would happen if for 12 months of the year, we practiced one of these attachment things, one of these things that builds attachment as a a church community. Oh, that's brilliant. Uh, Yeah. You know, to me, these are just sort of seeds of ideas. But if we were working on that as as a community, I bet uh, there'd be a lot going on.
2: Yeah. Well, that's great. I, I'm going to encourage people to pick that up. We'll put a link to this book in the show notes. Um, I actually don't know. When does it come out, Jim?
4: Well, it's out now. It, um, it's out now. It okay, great. great. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very good. All I right. don't know why you haven't gotten a copy. Uh, yeah. no, it's, it's uh, the system should have done that to help, help you, uh, Ben and Matt, have, you know, be able to look at this content because it's there. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, well, maybe it's on its way. That.
2: Yeah. Thank you. And uh, uh, hopefully it's on its way and uh, I do look forward to that. I think that those kinds of practical ideas, like you're talking about at the end of the book, I think it will be so helpful for leaders to know, oh, here's a practice we can engage in. Here's something that will build our attachment with each other, which now we can realize is not just, oh, that'll help us feel better about being in community with each other. No, this actually creates the environment in which we can grow Mm -hmm. into the kind of people who can love our enemies.
4: Yes, I think it's timely too, just because of the COVID situation. We're rethinking how do we group, how do we connect with each other. What is important? I think it's a timely conversation for this time in our history, um, and you know might end us up in a better
1: place. Yeah. So. Amen.
4: Yep. Well. Amen. Thank you so much for having me on, Ben and Matt. It's been great uh, talking with you. Obviously, the start of what I hope is a long conversation for all of us and the uh, people that listen to your podcast
2: yes yeah we really appreciate you spending some time with us Jim your work is really uh, helpful it's really important um, and uh, thanks for thanks for doing it keep going we need it
5: Thank you.
3: thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast our show is produced by Ben Sternke Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.